What's up, everybody? It's Wayne, and this is the podcast formerly known as The Green Pill, currently known as Everybody Wayne Shung Tonight, somewhat embarrassingly, and soon to be known as something completely different. <laughs> but I haven't had time to think or work on the rebrand as much as I'd like, so hopefully you bear with me as we figure out what we're trying to do with this podcast. But it should be done by next week. We should have a new title, a new theme, uh, and a guest very special guest to kick it all off. And maybe I'll share with you a little bit more about that special guest at the end of this podcast. But for the last version of the current iteration of the podcast, I, I'm really excited to have on the show Anna Kwok and Alex Chow. These are two hardcore democracy activists in Hong Kong who are essentially refugees from their own country. If they go back home, they'll be arrested the moment they come off the plane. Alex has actually been in jail. Um, many times, been arrested many times as a result of his work in Hong Kong, fighting for basic freedoms that many of us in the United States take for granted. I'll, I'll just give an example. Some of Alex and Anna's friends have been arrested and jailed merely for publishing a children's book about democracy. And if you're not following what's happening in China with a brutal dictatorship coming down hard on anyone who dissents with them, um, I think it's a cautionary tale, not just because of the potential threat this causes to the United States and people around the world, but because it shows how when power is concentrated in the hands of a very small number of people, very small number of institutions, corporate or governmental, everyone suffers. And in many ways, here's the sad thing. I think that's starting to happen in the United States. But there are things we can do about it, and there are enormous lessons from Alex and Anna's stories that we can draw not just inspiration from, but really practical value from here in the United States. But uh, the stories speak for themselves. So without further ado, here is Anna Kwok and Alex Chow. Alex, Anna, I'm so excited. And I just said it again. I, I feel terrible. I shouldn't say excited because you all have some terrifying stories. But maybe I can say excited because there are also some inspiring stories coming from Hong Kong too right now, right? I mean, there's, there's still resistance. We still have you two here in the United States speaking truth to power. Um, but both of you are activists fighting for democracy in Hong Kong. I know there's been so much tragedy and, and suffering and loss in, in the city of your home. So let me just start. When you describe what's happened in Hong Kong today to someone who doesn't know much about it, how do you explain it? Yeah. Um, Please go ahead, Anna. Yeah, what I'm going to say is that what's happening in Hong Kong is um, seeing how a city of people realizing for the past 25 years they have been living in a lie, a lie that is called the one country, two system, a lie that is called a level of high autonomy that is supposed to be given to Hong Kongers. And why I say that was because um, Hong Kong in t 1997, uh, under, uh, undergone this transfer of sovereignty from the British government at the time to the Chinese government. And during the process of the negotiation, Hong Kong people were not even consulted of what we would want for our own future. And at the time, there was a lot of uh, pessimism for Hong Kongers because Hong Kongers have witnessed uh, the June uh, the June 4th Tiananmen massacre. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were- That occurred under in 1989, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so just and eight I, years before the handover. Yeah, and- uh, And they're going people, under the control of the government that inflicted that massacre on students in Tiananmen. 
Yeah, so scared. a lot of people were really scared by the images and videos on the television, right? The m memories were so vivid. But then, the, so the government, uh, in order to really handle that kind of fear and worry, they said, okay, we're going to give you guys 50 years of autonomy. But right now, it's 25 years later, and look where we are. We're yeah. seeing people more than you know 1100 people in prison for political reasons yeah. and more than 10,000 political arrests and more people you know in exile and fleeing out of the city so really what is happening is that people have lost a lot of hope they don't know where we can go next mm -hmm. and yeah it's a lot of trauma and i mean thinking about it is just um I still cannot imagine how my home has changed, you know, over the yeah. past 25 years. And I was born in 1997, exactly the, the, wow, year. the year of the yeah. handover. Exactly. So to imagine I grew up in the city and at the age of 25, I have to flee the city and go into exile. It's pretty insane. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't realize I, it's 25 years. That should be an anniversary to celebrate. And unfortunately, people are mourning. Yeah. That's really sad. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of why the handover happened? Just because a lot of people in the United States probably have some vague sense that Hong Kong was under British rule. Why was it under British rule originally? And why, why was there a handover in 1997? Yeah, so um, there's a bit of history in that. So um, back in many years ago, a decade ago around, more than a decade ago, uh, there was this opium war uh, waged to the... Uh, Chinese em Empire at the time, mm -hmm. actually, during the Qing Dynasty. And at that time, Hong Kong was a part of a, what do you call that? Sese not secession. Was kind Concessions? Concessions, Concessions yeah, the British given government. by the, by the uh, Chinese government to the British government because uh, the Chinese Empire has lost the war. And there was this agreement that Hong Kong was, would be leased out for 99 years uh, under a certain agreement. And after the 99 years, uh, Hong Kong would be returned by the British government to the Chinese Empire at the time. But of course, after 1990 years, we know the Chinese Communist Party would be um, the government that is really ruling China instead of the Qing Dynasty at the time. So there was actually a sort of historical injustice there that um, in reality, um, the agreement was made uh, between the British government and a government that no longer exists, which is the Qing Dynasty. But instead of uh, renegotiating or re-evaluating what mm -hmm. uh, Hong Kong should become, um, they just automatically has this assumption that their negotiation would continue with the Chinese Communist Party that was not even endorsed by yeah. Hong Kongers or really virtually had no connections to Hong Kongers at the time. So where is the right to self-determination that yeah. we're supposed to have? And like a lot of um, you know, uh, countries that were once a colony, they were given the right of not that they were given, they should have yeah. the right to self-determination, to vote for and to have a referendum on what they want their own people to live uh, and how they want their own people to live in the future. But we didn't have that. So sometimes, you know, um, young activists or younger generations would actually blame our old generations because we always thought, hey, like, why didn't you guys think about taking mm -hmm. up a discussion and doing something at that pivotal historical moment to really pave a better path for Hong Kongers. And you knew the CCP is this evil regime that have for killed, sure. you know, millions of people. So why didn't you, you know, just try to make a change? Um, and a lot of that, I think, uh, sentiment and a lot of them uh, of that desperation really 
uh, turned into a kind of national consciousness we have seen over the past few years, where more and more Hong Kongers would identify themselves as Hong Kongers instead of Chinese, and they would see that Hong Kong is uh, being a Hong Konger is actually a newfound nationality because we don't really resonate with people uh, who are. Uh, living in China and who are obedient to the regime. And that's really uh, the trajectory we're seeing here in Hong Kong. And that's why in the 2019 movement, uh, a lot of Hong Kongers would start a chanting Hong Kong independence is the only way out hmm. just because they don't they don't imagine a future where they can feel that they are a Chinese under the Chinese regime's rule. Yeah. I, I Got exactly the same conversations happening in Taiwan right now. Mm. And I, I told you all previously, most of my family was from the Guangzhou, um, mm. Hong mm. Kong area in 1949. And a lot of them fled. Some of them, unfortunately, didn't get out in 1949. Mm. And I say that despite the fact that, you know, I have, I have no sympathy for the KMT. The, the nationalists uh. who ruled China before the CCP took over were brutal and violent. And even Taiwan, you know, Taiwan, everyone thinks of it as this flourishing democracy now. Like, they didn't have free elections until, I think, it's 1993. Yeah. So, you know, 40-plus years of dictatorship and, and brutal dictatorship. Mm -hmm. So uh, my, my grandfather and my mother's family was in military intelligence, you know, and the spy game is a dangerous one for a lot of reasons. But it's dangerous to your own government, too, because when you're constantly interacting, he's one of the few people in Taiwan interacting with Chinese people. He had a neighbor who was also in military intelligence and... Mm -hmm. One day, the father in that family just disappeared, mm. right? Oh. And, and this is this is under the KMT. This is under the mm. supposedly democratic regime. So, it's such a complicated story because, you know, obviously the British did not act well. Mm. <laughs> they did not act well when they took it over originally. Yeah. You know, in 1898, I guess it was. They didn't act well in 1997. It's just a continuation of this idea that we don't care what you think. We're mm. going to determine your fate, which yeah. is super messed yeah. up. On the other hand, the Chinese governments on all sides have been awful, too. It's like, mm -hmm. and I will say, I think Hong Kong's governance was obviously much better before 1987 than after. And even after 1987, I think it's been better, in my view, and you know much better than I do, for most of the time period up until maybe the early 2010s. Would you say that's when it went bad? Or do you think it was bad right after 97? Like, Because the story mm -hmm. from my family, I'll just complain. I, I yeah. told this earlier. My family, it's very interesting. My family fled, right? They all mm. flee mm. Hong Kong in 1994 because they're like, oh my God, Tiananmen Square. My grandfather, again, a military general, very hardened man. I never saw him show any emotion at all. He was super cold, stone-faced guy, mm -hmm. very serious. The only time I ever saw him cry was in 1989 when he saw those students gunned down. Mm. He cried. He was just like, this is what has come to my country and mm. I can't believe this. And you know, he was, he was worried too because his family members, a lot of his family members still mm. left behind because... From 49 to, I think, I think it was 89, actually, mm. was the year that Taiwan-China communication and, and you know, travel was allowed. Mm. But uh, so everybody in my family got out of Hong Kong. They got out of China as quickly as they could. And for a while, they're all thinking to themselves, oh, why did we leave? We, like, totally disrupted our lives in 1994 to flee Hong Kong. And now they're all like, holy crap, we are so glad we're out. But yeah. I guess my question is, when mm. do you think it started going bad? Was it right after 1997? Um, I think my theory is that it has been bad from day one from day because one. Um, a lot bad. of people would think that, oh, like when Hong Kong was first returned, I, and I use air quote because technically we were not returning to anywhere. We we're yeah. just like, you can't return a city, exactly, a community. Like, exactly. We we're just like, like taking a human being back to a library. Someone. It's like, can I return this human? <laughs> yeah. That's not okay. You can't do that. Human <laughs> beings aren't things. 
Yeah, but um, I mean, because the entire system, the entire framework was alive from the very beginning. They never mm. had the thought that Hong Kong would deserve its own autonomy, but rather it was just a very temporary and short-term solution to really stabilize and pacify some Hong Kongers who were really fleeing out of the city yeah. at the time uh, due to fear. And even with uh, the first uh, chief executive, Tong, mm-hmm. uh, Tong Chiwa, who mm-hmm. just uh, you know uh, got uh, appointed as the first term of the CE right after uh, the transfer of sovereignty, um, he tried to propose this uh, Article 23, which was really a way to silence people and really a way to oppress people from expressing their own thoughts. And that was actually one of the main things that would differentiate Hong Kong from just any other cities in the, in the China area, right? And at the time also a lot of Chinese activists, Chinese uh, human rights lawyer, they would all flee to Hong Kong because they thought Hong Kong would be the safe haven for them to speak up. And there were a lot of press conferences of, you know, Hong Kong, uh, Chinese activists coming to Hong Kong, sharing about their experience. So they really wanted to, you know, get rid of Hong Kong uh, being that safe haven just because Hong Kong was actually having an impact on uh, mainland China, on Chinese people, because Chinese people would come to Hong Kong as well. Sometimes they would watch like TVB News, which was uh, one of the biggest uh, television station in Hong Kong. And the CCP was scared. They were worried. And that's why from, you know, from the very beginning, they have been trying very subtly in silencing Hong Kongers. And all this time they were using the spoiling frog method that they thought, okay, we'll just do it very slowly so you guys wouldn't really What kind of method? Can you just say that again? Yeah. It's called the boiling boiling frog method. So what it means is... Oh, the boiling frog. Yeah, exactly. So if you just uh, slowly heat up the frog, the frog would not jump out of the pot of hot water and it would just die slowly, right? And that was exactly what the CCP was doing. They were trying to have, you know, small policy changes, you know, doing incremental changes one step at a time so people would not, you know, really come together and resist and make noise. But of course... Because every change seems like it's such a small thing. It's like, what's the big deal? It's exactly. only like it can slip you know, through our exactly. mind. It's fine. We can slip through it. Yeah, we, we but, just can't yeah. talk about X. And then mm-hmm. tomorrow it's not just X, but X and Y. And then yeah. it's X, Y, and Z. And then the entire alphabet's gone and you can't say anything. Yeah, exactly. But I think w- one thing they forgot is that actually a lot of Hong Kongers were people who fled uh, the Chinese Communist Party, um, you know, after the Cultural Revolution. So, for mm-hmm. example, actually, my dad, he was among one of those people who fled. Uh, China at the time. And when he was in Hong Kong, of course, he would remember what the CCP has been doing. Yeah. So the and I think that's shared by a lot of uh, people in his generation as well. Their generation uh, is aware of what the government has been doing from day one. So in t- uh, 2003, when the government was trying to impose uh, the Article 23, a lot of people took it to the street. A lot of people tried to resist. And there was this uh, very uh, large scale mar- uh, march as well hmm. and it really pushed the government back so that they wouldn't uh, press on with their and this is in 2003 so yes. like 10 years before very the early movement. on yeah yeah i think i vaguely remember that and i remember yeah. thinking of being very successful and i was thinking oh yeah look hong kong's you know the way it should be because the government overreaches and then yeah. the people protest and it's fine but that but is actually yeah. an illusion because, it was an illusion yeah, yeah. not long because they just kept moving in that exactly. direction and making it harder and harder and they yeah. have learned to do it more subtly along the way as well yeah. so yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a little bit about just your personal experience because you said you're 25, so you're literally born. You you've never seen Hong Kong before CCP rule. Yes. Correct? Okay. You're right. How old are you, Alex? 
30, 31. 31. Okay, yeah. so you, you had... I was like, a, is it? I'm 32. 32. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, at point you I'm with you, man. I can't yeah. figure out how old I am okay. either. Like, every day seems like it's a whirlwind, and the world's yeah. a very ridiculous place right now. So you were thir- you're 32. That means you were seven years old when, when the handover happened, right? Yes, yeah. I, I, was, born, I was born in 1990. Okay, so I want to... Do you remember what it was like before the handover? No, I can I can hardly remember. Young. Yeah, it was okay. like I was like I was too young. So, but just tell me about your personal experience, because you know we've talked a lot about freedoms being denied, you know, people getting arrested. But specifically, what were some of the things the Chinese government was doing that were affecting even your personal lives? Like, what were the things that made an impact that led you to become an activist today? Like, yeah, was there some experience you had where a cop beat you up, or you were told you couldn't? write a paper or I mean just so tell me a little about your experience Alex I think for me my politically uh, awakening moment was like in back in 20, 2011 or 2012 like when I was an undergrad year uh, when I was like a first year undergrad student uh, at the University of Hong Kong so um, like throughout my childhood and my uh, teenagehood like I was thinking to become a writer because like well I was aspired to like well write so as to like I'll inform or change the society but only it was like, well, when I when I got into university and college, I realized, oh, there are so much more things happening on campus and even mm. like, well, the society at large. So when I was a freshman at university, like that was like also a huge year uh, for the political development in Hong Kong, just because um, I think the the vice president, like, well, the, 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 uh, the, the, the uh, was like, Premier? Premier? Okay, 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 yeah, yeah. The premium of the Chinese government, like, well, was uh, visiting the University of Hong Kong. Mm. And it became like a huge fuss just because uh, his visit uh, request uh, the police to, like, to block off, like, the major avenues and also, like, well, many, 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 like, well, uh, alleyways, like, well, on the campuses. So students actually, like, well, could not get in and stage a protest. And mm. that day was like actually my birthday. So they just basically <laughs> shut down the city to prevent anyone from protesting him. Like like the whole campus, the whole, the whole campus, camp- oh, just the campus. Him. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so so that that was. And that that's was, the largest campus. That's the largest university. In Hong yes. Kong, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, it's and, very well known. And yeah. And and the personal connection was like, oh, that was my birthday. birthday. So I yeah. felt like, oh, that is something. That was like really, really like, well, deeply. <laughs> so that's why you're protesting. Yeah, like, it really has nothing to do with yeah, democracy at all. Alex is just mad. I didn't get to have a birthday. Yes. Because like, well, what I wanted to do on my birthday was I I was trying to celebrate like my entrance to the university so i was thinking like to visit the campus and to get my student card mm-hmm. but because i know that like well okay there was like a blockade like well on campuses so i saw like okay let me just like wait until the afternoon and see what happened but like well on that day like well there was like well uh, several students arrested and then they were being like well uh, uh kind of like well um uh, 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 confined in a space that they could not like well leave or move or they could only like well stage their protest like well uh, in the uh, uh, back door of the alleyway mm. uh, and that was such like a uh, uh, what were they doing when they were protesting I think they were try- just trying to like well show their banners okay. and try to like well see the primary but they were not given a chance okay and but but that that, that person like well but they didn't they, did they disrupt the proceedings in any way not that it would be justified uh, I, were, I'm a big fan of disruption personally but, they, they, but they were, were not, they doing anything beyond just holding banners were they, they were just like, trying to move to the venue so they were it. they were just yeah. trying to present their banners yes. so people, people yes. were very that's peaceful in Hong yeah. Kong we were all very mild for sure yeah. yeah but that became like well the the turning point for me to like well read more political news just okay. because like well uh, that was like well such a fast 
such a fuss to me. So like, well, the more I read, like, well, the at more the time you were just planning to be a writer. Yes, yes. So I knew I knew nothing. Not I knew writer, nothing about the political development in Hong Kong. I knew nothing about the political system. I knew nothing about like the the politics between different political parties. So I was simply like a baby to politics. But yeah. then, like, well, that event, like, well, radically like changed my mind because I felt like, oh, if I want to write something that's meaningful and socially informed to my readers, then I have to learn about the city more. So I started to read more like political news, like Apple Daily, uh, like about well, the the only independent like well, pro democracy yeah. media in Hong Kong, which has now been shut down, right? Yes, and the founders was, in prison. Yeah, yes, and just, was shut just down. for publishing things. For, yes, not for any crime other than just yes. publishing things. He's yes. now sitting in a prison, right? Yes, yeah. it was shut down last year. Um, then twenty eight uh, months is that right in total? I think he got fourteen months, and then it was extended fourteen months. I think like, like his trial is still it's still yeah, ongoing. It's still so ongoing. it could be even longer. Yeah, it could okay. be much longer. A lot of people actually don't expect him to, you know, come yeah. out anytime. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Wow. Yeah. It's scary. Sorry, I interrupt your story. But. No, but but the next year, like well, when I well, the next year, like the next semester, like well, I found out like there's a lot of like well, uh, uh, undercover like on campuses. Like well, the 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 Communist Party actually like well, they they have they have like a huge branch in trying to like well, mobilize their students, trying to co-opt students so that they could take control of the student union. Hmm. Then you realize there's like a whole history of like well, how the Chinese Communist Party would try to like well uh, uh, extend their influence by co-opting and and uh, and co-opting like well students like well into their political camp. So like well when it comes to like well uh, electoral politics on campuses, there will also be different camps like well competing for seats to represent the students because like well uh, uh, student movement and student union they represent like a major voice in Hong Kong sure. uh, informing uh, the direction of the democracy movement so when the youngsters like speak out uh, citizens will try to will always try to listen to them and, and, and show some respect just because of the history of like the 1989 uh, Tiananmen democracy movement so like well students have always like been playing playing a major role in, in Hong Kong but also because of that like well the Communist Party also like well have their eyes on the student union. So when I was like, well, uh, uh, a journalist, like, well, on campus, I, I found that like, well, there's a lot of like, well, backdoor maneuvering happening. Hmm. And at the year of like 2012, like, well, the Communist Party, like, they actually wanted like, well, the student union to endorse a specific candidate, like, of the like, well, chief executive election in Hong Kong. So like, well, it was like a, it was like a a, a direct showcase of like how like, well. Uh, Chinese Communist Party, like although they claim that it's like a one country, two system, they're also doing a lot of maneuvering, like trying yeah. to like inform and impact like about election and who would be the ultimate candidate that would win the election. Yeah. So t tell me specifically, what do you mean by manipulation or maneuvering? What would they do in these backdoor channels to try and tip the scales in favor of their candidates? Uh, so back then, like uh, there are like uh, two candidates. One is more like pro business like candidate, and another one is more like well pro CCP communist candidate. So like well they have like a different like well political base. Uh, at that point, like well there are like many people like well from the pro Beijing camp or even from the establishment camp, like I have a huge doubt like well on the pro uh, business candidate. So they want to like well uh, garner more support for for the like well uh, pro uh, pro CCP pro communist candidate. So what they do was like well. Um, what they do, let me recall what they what they actually do in twenty twelve, um, was that there was a lot of infighting and trying to like expose one another on like well their wrongdoings. So like the pro so the pro business camp like well uh, candidates they try to like expose like how the pro CCP camp candidate actually met with gangsters. 
and they try to like persuade the gangsters to rally more support uh, for this pro uh, uh, Beijing camp candidate, so he could get elected. So when it wait, came, wait, 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 just back up. So who 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 convinced the gangsters? I, like uh, the government was asking gangsters to support them. The the pro CCP candidate himself met with the gangsters, so that like the gangster could support him. Uh, when it comes to electoral campaigns. And by gangsters, you mean people who are part of organized crime yes. or like yes. murderers Riot and members. thieves. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And what, how do we know that happened? It's just people did reporting and found out there were documents. Think there, there are some recordings. insiders like, well, who uh, exposed the news and like, wow. well, sent out a picture to journalists. So it was on the news. Huh. And then like in that meeting, I think like a, a CCP official was also there. So like, well, it's like, a, like not a high ranking official. Huh. So the, like the connection was made between like, well, the pro CCP candidate, the gangsters, and also like, well, uh, the CCP official. So there was like a, such a big news, like, well, to readers and Hong Kongers in Hong Kong. Yeah. So like, well, it became a shock on like, well, hey, uh, whether like, well, it is a bridge of one country to systems. Because like, well, when like, well, uh, there's like a direct intervention from like, well, uh, the CCP official, then like Hong Kong is no longer like, well, enjoying or exercising its uh, political autonomy. Yeah. It is more about like, well, how like, well, uh, people with influence and power, yeah. they're trying to do the backdoor maneuvering uh, to like, well, uh, 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 gain more support for a specific mm. candidate, like, well, in the whole like political development of Hong Kong in the long run. So yeah. what were they trying to get the gangsters to do specifically? Were the gangsters like intimidating people? Were they killing people? Were they um, giving them money, like stolen funds? Do you remember? No, I don't. I don't okay. exactly remember. Because yeah, we've had problems like that that in the United States too. I think the United States government has gotten clean over the years. But because I'm from Chicago, mm. and if you know anything about the history of Chicago, there was this guy named Boss Daly. He was he ran the Chicago machine, and you know, I mean, it was just widely known that he was hanging out with gangsters all the time, yeah. and and they were providing him money. So if he needed stuff paid for, you know, like campaign ads, they pay for it. Um, if he needed the support of a particular union. He'd get the gangs to give them money, right? And say like, okay, give all the union bosses all the money. Gosh. And then the union will endorse me. And then all their members who are, you know, they didn't know any better. They just think our bosses are telling us vote for Daly and he'd do it. I don't know the specifics and may, I may be defaming Mayor Daly, but he's dead. So he can't say <laughs> Maybe I should, I should still be more careful, but it was that sort of thing. I don't remember all the specifics because this is like 40 or 50 years ago. And ironically, even though his father was a completely corrupt criminal, um, his son was elected too, and so I do know his son a lot more because his son was mayor when I was in Chicago in the early 2000s. Um, but I think in the United States, when these things are exposed, it's a problem. Yeah. So in Hong Kong, I guess two questions. One is, what specifically were these gangsters doing? And second, what happened when this was exposed? Because it sounds like things haven't changed. <laughs> yeah, I think over the years, it has become you know more and more apparent and more of an open secret to this entire city that the government has been working with uh, the gangsters. triad members and gangsters in general. Yeah. And one and uh, you said triad members is that tri yeah, triad, triad members okay. and, and that's triad is the a, same thing. Yeah, and triad is just the name of the gang. I think that's just how uh, Hong Kongers refer the to them gangsters. in general. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but then but then uh, one major incident was uh, actually in 2019 on July 21st, uh, a date that all Hong Kongers would remember. So what happened was uh, when pro-democracy Hong Kongers were returning home uh, from the protest that they were in uh, in the morning, um, they were going home to Yunlong, a district in Hong Kong that was you know more far out. And when they got off the train. 
um, suddenly uh, there were a lot of gangsters waiting mm. for them on the I platform. I remember this video. Exactly. It's it so was disturbing. scary. Yeah, yeah. And everyone was carrying, you know, a baton or, mm-hmm. you know, a they kind of white weapon. Shirts, right? Exactly. All, all of them shirts. were in white shirts. And that's why we call them, you know, men in white shirts. And they, were, they started beating all the protesters. Yeah. And because every protester would wear uh, black shirts mm-hmm. so they were very easily recognizable yeah. and there was so they wanted to be able to tell who do we beat up exactly it's very clear it's almost like playing a game like you yeah. see okay these are your targets and then they start hitting everyone uh including a pregnant woman and yeah. the pregnant woman you know fell onto the ground and it was terrible and also uh, a journalist was trying to record the scene and she was beaten you know on live yeah. and that was so tragic and at the same time it was so apparent that there were a lot of connections between the government uh the liaison office with uh, the Chinese government and these gangsters um, because they have been always seen together, you know, in uh, uh, dinner gatherings and, you know, annual, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. annual gala and all that stuff. So, you know, it's out there. All the evidence are out there. But what happened when it's exposed? Nothing happened, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, other than nothing happened, I think uh, some of the um, um, legislators who are closer to these gangsters, they actually get promotions. They actually get rewarded, you know, for whatever they have done. So it's gross and it's disgusting that, you know, Hong Kong is not only about the political crackdown, but also this sort of collusion uh, between government and the gangs and also between government and a lot of businesses as well. There, you know, Hong Kong is just a city of a lot of secret maneuvers that create this illusion for people to believe, but really it's a place with no autonomy at all. So what does the government say when the video comes out of like a guy in a white shirt? I just... By the way, that video is just weird too. It's 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 obviously incredibly disturbing because you've got a bunch of armed, yes. you know, men yes. like just r- rampaging through a crowd, beating everybody. It feels like I don't even know how to explain it. It's just like unreal. I mean, I really, I mean, it's yeah. disturbing to watch, but I encourage people to watch it because this is kind of what's happening in a so-called democratic city. And but a financial, is, uh, international financial oh yeah, city and, and, as well, well. Yeah, it's crazy. Not so much but, anymore. It gets yeah. worse and worse. I think yeah. so many companies are pulling out of Hong Kong. For no, but reasons. actually, still a lot of uh, companies are still in support of the Hong Kong government. So, for example, next month on uh, November second, the government is hosting this financial summit where Morgan Stanley uh, um, and then BlackRock, Rock Investment, Citibank, a lot of all these big companies are gonna go there and That's dirty. join the summit. So they're not pulling out and. They're actually joining the government and suppressing the people. Yeah, I think they'll stick around until their people start getting arrested. And well, but actually, maybe their people never will get arrested because I mean, they're so supportive of the government. But yeah. the question I was going to ask is, so you got these gangs in white shirts, yeah. literally beating up pregnant women on the streets. How does the government respond? And what do they say in response to that? You know, because like, I feel like that level of transparency, and I imagine these videos are widely shared in Hong Kong, right? Everybody saw them. I mean, I saw them here. So everybody sees this. You know, I, I, I compare it to something like Black Lives Matter in the United States, you know? We see these videos, and there's outrage, and, mm-hmm. you know, the government has to change. Mm-hmm. So what was different in Hong Kong? You see these women getting beaten by officers, or not even officers, but, like, gangsters yes. hired by officers or in collusion yeah. with officers. Um, what does the government say to explain this? So they used a lot of excuses. Either Jesus. there is not enough of evidence, they don't know who they There's are. Not enough evidence? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or they don't know who these people I'm sorry, are. I don't but mean to come laugh, on, but all the videos, yeah. you can see their faces so clearly. clearly. Yeah, you don't even have to zoom in, you can see their faces. Yeah. But they just 
you know, make up craps like that and say, mm. oh, like, um, we don't know who they are and things like that. But at the same time, there was a video of a police officer at the scene actually leaving the scene. Mm. Uh, the police officer, the, yeah, the exactly, saw up. the guys, you know, coming in, beat up everyone, and they left. And there's another video uh, uh, at the same night where a police officer was like talking to one of the guys in the white shirt, mm -hmm. and they were like patting each other on the shoulder, shoulder like they're yeah. best right bros or something. Get, yep. Yeah, hmm. so it's it's crazy. And um, there were also some. Uh, so the uh, government doesn't say it's okay. No. They just say, oh, you know, we wish we yeah, could do we something about this, is. but we yeah. just can't find them because yeah, exactly. you know I, I just can't tell who it is, and even though it's like people, a three D. Yeah, there uh, were people trying to find out as well. So journalists was you know making documentaries about it. You know. Know, laying out all the evidence for the government and they actually just shut down the program well yeah, yeah because the, the next day after the attack like well the the government only held uh, a press conference like well like well the second day mm -hmm. so they, they did not like respond to any requests like well right after the attack so like well in the press conference like well many journalists were accusing or even like holding the officials accountable asking them like where have you been last yeah. night like well why didn't you come out like well what happened yeah. it's a collaboration between the government officials and also the gangsters and uh, one journalist even yelled at the chief executive Carrie Lam like mm -hmm. well at the time the leader of Hong Kong government like well could you speak like a human and but like that journalist yeah. later, like a year later, he was fired, like well by uh, her company, which was like a, a, a publicly funded, like well uh, broadcast agency in Hong Kong. Uh, but like that was like what happened. Wow. And so what was when you, when this was unfolding in 2019? Well, actually, so I, let me before we get, we've talked a lot about the high level details, but I want to hear more about your personal stories because, yeah. you know, I'll tell you as an activist myself. Most people in my family and most people in the Chinese community in the United States think I'm completely crazy. Because, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Confucian culture is like respect authority. And then, I mean, just given everything our country's been through over the last, frankly, 200 years with the Opium Wars, colonialism, mm -hmm. the Chinese Civil War, World War II, the rape of Nanking, all these awful things, you know, I feel like there's a deep undercurrent in Chinese culture that just kind of keep your head down, you know? Mm -hmm. And obviously you two are not doing that. Um, so tell me a little bit more. Maybe I'll I'll go to you first, Anna, because mm -hmm. Alex, you shared a little of your story. You're 25 years old. You were yes. born under communist rule. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was kind of your personal point of awakening? When did you realize, hey, I want to do something about this, and I'm not sure things are right here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So actually, all my life, I feel like I've always been the outspoken one. That I was nice. to always told, like, come nice. on, shut up, stop speaking. You know, by others. <laughs> Um, but I guess my parents raised me right. Don't that, listen to yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Don't Just listen to them. Keep, keep saying whatever you want to say because yeah. I was a, I, I'm actually the youngest in my family, so I was actually spoiled a bit that oh, I nice. I could say whatever I want. Out of how many um, kids? Hmm? How many kids? Three kids. Three kids. You're the youngest. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think you know, all this time I think. When I was growing up, uh, I was aware of what the CCP has been doing because in Hong Kong, you would see a lot of news like how they were uh, mistreating a lot of human rights lawyers, how they were, you know, imprisoning people like Liu Xiaobo and a lot of people who were just like speaking their rights. Mm -hmm. And but then over the entire, you know, uh, my childhood, my teenage years, I always thought politics was somehow out of reach. It's mm -hmm. something, you know, more elitist. It's not something that I can just, 
you know, jump into it and start being an activist or anything like that. And then when I was in high school, I actually went to Norway. I went abroad for high school and mm, I cool. went here in the United States for college. So, you know, when Norway, Norway, I think, is the happiest place in the world. Do you know yeah. That? Yeah, actually. Were you happy there? One or, I, I was fairly yeah. happy, but then actually... The U.S. is not very happy. <laughs> <laughs> you went from a happy place to a very miserable place. No, I'm kidding. I love the United States. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. You yeah, know put it on record. Yeah. yeah, I put it on the record just yeah. in case yeah. the FBI is listening. Yeah. I love America. I actually do. I mean, I'm one of the few activists I know who really does love my own mm. country. I love China and the United States. I, I think both countries are amazing. But sorry. Anyways, yeah. go ahead. So you go to Norway, you go to the United States. Yes, but uh, in Norway, it was actually in 2014. So when Alex oh, was wow. leading yeah, the umbrella movement in Hong Kong, I was away in Norway. I was being, you know, this high, high school student ex uh, discovering about the world. But I was feeling so alienated that mm. I was not... In Hong Kong, I was not with my friends fighting on the front line, and I was I wasn't tasting the tear gas that they were talking about. Yeah. So that there was this huge sense of alienation, and eventually I decided, okay, I should do something, and I started doing a bit of campus organizing and you know getting other to hear about Hong Kong. This is in high school or in college? High school. High, high school. school. Wow. So I started realizing, okay, maybe. So your classmates in high school were getting tear gassed. Yes. Wow. Uh, back in Hong Kong, yes. This is back at, in, in the Umbrella Movement. Yes. And explain why. Movement. Why were they getting tear gas? And what was the Umbrella Movement for people who don't know about it? The Umbrella Movement was actually um, in 2014, uh, in August. And the reason there was the movement was because um, the CCP was trying to impose some sort of uh, criteria for how Hong Kongers should elect their chief executive. Mm. But Hong Kong was supposed to have a universal suffrage. And that means, you know, whoever can be elected and whoever, whoever right. can That's right. So the CCP was candidate. basically going to pick who the candidates exactly, were. Exactly, right. exactly. So it's not a true in democracy. In flowery language, yeah. yeah. It's, it's basically a puppet democracy mm -hmm. where we're going to put up the puppet for you and you pick yeah, the puppets we exactly. choose. Exactly. And they're all yeah. by us. Okay. We have democracy. And so, and so people start protesting this because yeah. they're concerned, understandably, because mm -hmm. it's supposedly a democracy. Mm -hmm. And your friends are part of that? Yes. A lot of were, my Were most high school students involved or was it just like a small percentage or how many people in your high school actually went out? Like, I'm just trying to get an understanding of mm. like how widespread this movement was. It was actually pretty widespread, I really? think. Yeah, a lot of people in our generation really saw what atrocities the CCP have committed over the years. So everyone would go out, but everyone got tear guessed. Yeah. Um, Can I just say, mm -hmm. I'm so fucking proud of you all for doing that. Because all the Chinese kids I knew, were, we were always so scared to do anything that was a little bit different or a little bit radical or a little bit, you know, a little bit brave. Like we were always just taught, oh, don't do anything. You just got to mm -hmm. listen to authority. And... Like 2014 really inspired me. I was just so proud to be Chinese. So thank you all for being a part of that and supporting it. The other thing I'm going to say, though, is I think it's kind of amazing how social movements can explode like that. Because mm -hmm. if you look at social movements that succeed, succeed, it's often the case that there's like no participation at all. And then suddenly everyone participates. Yeah, and that's true. The movement I know best, because I've studied a lot as a civil rights movement in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of astonishing what happened with Rosa Parks. And, you know, she's famous for a reason because... Prior to Rosa Parks and, and the big campaign mm -hmm. in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, there's basically not that many people. And occasionally you'd hear about somebody protesting and saying, hey, why, why can I not sit in this seat just because I'm black or just because I'm, you know, mm -hmm. different race? And it took a lot of effort. There was a lot of really good organizing communication, communication like this, you know, people sitting at tables talking to each other about their concerns. But there was over 90% participation in the black community. 90% of the black wow. people in Montgomery yeah. supported it. That's like unbelievable. Yeah. 
So it warms my heart to know that it was very widespread because mm-hmm. that shows your movement had real power in 2014. Yeah. And I think it still has power today. But anyways, I interrupt your story. I just wanted to make that comment because mm-hmm. 2014 was a very important year for me too. Mm-hmm. I didn't have friends getting tear gas because my family had all left and we didn't have many friends left. Mm-hmm. But I watched those protests and I'd mm-hmm. read all the media coverage like every single day. I was Because mm-hmm. the news stories would come out every day and it was like, well, actually, tell people, why was it called the Umbrella Movement? You want to explain, Alex? Were you out there? You were out there on the streets, Alex? He I, was the lead, one of the yeah, I, I was already, like, well, uh, I was already being taken by the police to the police station. Oh, wow. Uh, and why the Umbrella Movement was called Umbrella Movement was because, like, well... I was this like, the first time you had been arrested? No, maybe the second time, second time in 2014 okay how many times have you been arrested in total <laughs> uh in 2014 maybe three times like well okay and, yeah and cumulatively over the years how many times uh like i don't remember because like after 2014 like the police would only like was scheduling an appointment for you yeah, and ask you, you to show like up. well be arrested okay <laughs> by visiting there and, and then station. you left right you basically left hong kong what year Yes, I left Hong Kong one year, like in 2016. I went to the UK for a master's degree okay. and came back for prison and then came to the United States. Yikes. Uh, yeah, but back in 2014, like, well, there was like a student strike, like, okay. well, in response to, like, well, the, the Beijing government's decision. Yeah, in, saying like, you well, don't get a vote anymore. Yes, essentially. yes, yes. And then, like, well, the, the strike, like, will last for five days. So you have, like, yeah. university students. Actually, can I back up again? Sorry, I'm going to interject because, again, I, I think most of my audience is not going to know all these details and understand. Mm. But how, how did they explain that to the people when they said, hey, you don't get to choose anymore? Did they have like a rational explanation for this? You mean <laughs> or did they for the, for, 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 for the, for the uh, Beijing government? Yeah, the 2014 decision to say, basically say, we get to choose who you get to choose. You know, you don't get to choose yourself anymore. Did they have an explanation for this? Did they say like, oh, you know, we just don't want their... You know, we're trying to create like an application process. I mean, what was... Because <laughs> it just seems so straightforwardly not just wrong, but a contradiction to what they promised in 1997, right? Mm. So did they even make an effort to explain it or did they just take it away and say oh, like... Oh, they would just use a lot of legalistic and nationalistic yeah. uh, language to say like, mm. okay, according to the law, like well, this is actually like what well, compliant mm. to like well, uh, what is laid down in the constitution, uh, like well, fulfilling the spirit of the basic law and according to article, blah, blah, blah. And they would say this like... This is well, why all lawyers suck. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I can say that. No, I'm just kidding. But... <laughs> And no, lawyers, lawyers suck. I'm just kidding. One thing I want Sorry to Sorry if either of you a lawyer. Yeah. I don't think either of you a lawyer, right? No. Are you thinking about going to law school? No, 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 no. Okay, no. good. Don't go to law school because all lawyers suck. They just justify the government in doing terrible things. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> but a lot of people would think the CCP is not very creative. They're, you know, very bound by their rules, but actually they're extremely creative because huh. they keep reinterpreting, you know, what really? the laws mean. And they okay. would always use, you know, different legalistic language, as Alex said, to really make uh, the laws become their new rea- reality. So that's, yeah, just something I want to add. But going back okay. to Alex. Yeah, so uh, let's go back to your story. So in 2014, you know, t- continue. I just, I interrupted you, so continue. Oh, but do you want to talk about the patriotic uh, 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 language or the patriotic rhetoric? Because like, on top of the legalistic language, they've also used the patriot- uh, patriotic rhetoric yeah. saying that we, only, we also need like, well, candidates who are loyal to the to government, government and yes. loyal to the nation. So like, well, combining the two, this is our formula and yeah. this is a new constitution mm-hmm. that works the best for Hong Kong. But yeah. of course they mean loyal to the party. Government. Yeah, not because yeah. it's the nation should be the people. Exactly. That's literally what a nation is. It's not 
a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, it's not an office building or a White House. Yeah, but it is the exactly people. where the confusion comes. Like, well, when you have the really legalistic, formalistic uh, language and also the uh, nationalistic rhetoric, then people will say, yes, we should, uh, of course, be loyal to the country. Yeah. And it becomes a confusion on like, how to entangle, like, well, the legalistic yeah. uh, requirement and also the nationalistic, fair political form of, like, well, yeah. uh, persuasion. So, um, yeah, it's like, you know, it, it, I mean, it's even worse than this, but it's as if, the U.S. government decided you could only run for office if you're a Republican. If you don't, if you don't love this country as much as I do, you can't run for office. But it's even worse, right? Because at least there are a lot of Republicans, and they represent, you know, about 45 percent of the American public. But in Hong Kong, it was like, no, it doesn't matter if you represent anybody, yeah. as long as, as long as we call the shots, we decide who's going to be in, a, in power. And it's just. I don't know. It's weird. Did people buy this at all? Are there any people in Hong Kong who thought, oh, that makes sense. I'm glad they're doing this. I guess there are some people because the gangs support them at least. Yeah, many people are glad that like, really? the, the decision was laid down. Huh. Yeah, I guess there is. I mean, in Taiwan, this is true, too. And then I, I have to say, there are even people in my family who are like this. I, there no, there's no one in my family who wants to be ruled by the Communist Party. But there are a lot of people in my family who still support the KMT, you know, which and I, I get that. And I don't want to become too polarized because... You know, the KMT does other things, too. It's not just their stance on China. The KMT, for the record, for those of you who don't know, is the Kuomintang. It is the, the nationalist party that fled China in 1949, controlled Taiwan for 40, 50 years. And then finally, I mean, after free and fair elections, Ming Jingdong, which is the party I support, um, even though a lot of my family members don't, my older family members are at KMT, but I'm, I forget the colors now. This is, I'm telling you how little I know about Taiwanese politics. One's blue, one's green. I forget which one's which. Anyways, I think I'm blue. <laughs> Uh, I don't remember which color I am, but it's Min Jingdong, which, whichever that one is. But um, that's, that's green. That's green. Yeah, is it green? green? Okay. <laughs> I'm not blue. I'm green. I, I love how you are from Hong Kong and I'm from Taiwan, and you know more about Taiwan than I do. Thank you for educating me about my own home country, or my family's home country, I should say. I was born here. My family's all from Taiwan, but by virtue of Guangzhou. But there's still people to this day, even with like Taiwan you know, being under threat for the last 50 years or 60 years, even with the, the threat of nuclear holocaust, and even with like the progress Taiwan has made relative to most of Asia. Like if you look at the average person in Taiwan and how much freedom and happiness they have relative to the average person in China, it's night and day. You know, but there's still people who say, like, yeah, I kind of believe in the one China policy. And it's like, hmm, that's weird. Yeah. I don't really get it. But why yeah. do you think people in Hong Kong support the Chinese government? I think the Chinese government is really good at uh, selling people uh, of saying that, hey, you become a beneficiary if you support mm. us. So one thing they do is economic coercion. They will try to make a lot of business deals and make yeah. sure that uh, you would get, you know, priority treatment if you come into our camp. And that's always been on their playbook. And that's why I think a lot of, uh, for example, developers, a lot of, you know, uh, big banks and a lot of financial institutes would actually in a heartbeat support and yeah. side with the CCP. Yeah. God. Yeah, Imagine the world where corporations are greedy. So sad. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, obviously yeah. corporations are greedy. Um, do you... No, go ahead. Yeah, but that's also a very skewed reality. Like, well, people want uh, stability, and that's what yeah. CCP seems to could, yeah uh, it seems to give them, and uh, uh, and, and that's quite tragic because, like, well, at yeah. the beginning we talk about the history of Hong Kong. Then, like, well, when 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 youngsters in Hong Kong think about Hong Kong, like me, I was like, well, it's like a, such an uh, unequal city. Like, well, there's like a huge like well. Uh, 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 unequal wealth distribution, sure. and and when when we thought about the case, we could always trace back to like well, what happened after the Second World War, like well, the labor union, the labor movement, it was being like actively suppressed by the British government just because like well, 
the British the British government thought that like well any unions or or, or labor related movement it might have to do with the CCP mm. so they would not side with the labor movement and that also became like a really like a astute uh, like well uh, political dynamic like well uh, like well throughout like well different decades so mm. when it came to like well 1980s like oh, when people said okay we need a future of Hong Kong we need to negotiate a constitutional framework it's more uh, more like the business people like well taking the dominant force like well in the mm. whole negotiation process and that dynamic didn't change after 1997. And when people wanted to like, well, change the policy, it was still like the business people who mm -hmm. dominated the dominated political everything. system. So like, that's, that's how we have the umbrella move. That's how we have the umbrella movement and also the 2019 uprising because we wanted to change Hong Kong fundamentally. Mm -hmm. Like we want to like reclaim the power, reclaim the autonomy, sure. like what well, dictate the policy, like what well, elect the leaders that is uh, that are truly represented, uh, uh, representing the Hong Kong people. So what you're saying is even before 1997, yeah, Hong Kong was not before. a true democracy. It was more like a corptocracy or a kleptocracy controlled by big business. Yeah, and yeah. it's a very skewed reality, like well, impacted by the global, global, yeah. global power. Okay, so tell me more about how you got involved, because you know, I, I, we know now that well, I knew before this, but you were a leader of the Umbrella Movement in 2014. How did that happen? Like, what? Why did you? You told me the story about first going to college, and I think you said 2011, right? Yeah. And you saw these protests when the premier of China came, and the people getting just like swept up and arrested merely for holding a banner up, which is you know. Yeah ridiculous and violation of free speech, but I guess there is no free speech right in Hong Kong. So what made you decide to go from writing about it to actually organizing? Okay, so the true turning point was really about like well the incident we talked about a moment ago, like well the 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 like the political scandal, like mm. well during the uh, mm. chief chief executive yeah. election. But what happened was like well let me let me give a short version of like what, what the incident really about. Like well so it's actually about like well uh, one candidate meeting with gangsters so that like through the gangsters, they could like buy more support from the rural leaders because wow. the gangsters usually collaborate with like the rural leaders, so mm. they could actually like stake weight the votes like well by by uh, by. What by, word are you saying there? Rural leaders. Uh, some of the rural uh, rural like leaders. In the rural areas. Rural, rural, okay, area yeah, leaders. Yeah. Okay, so rural gangsters. Yeah, rural gangsters, but they have votes like well over sure. over yeah. the candidates. So so they met, and then it became a news. And then, like, well, like, and they basically were paying off the leaders for votes. So that was the that was the issue. Like, well, it was never it was never uh, known. Like, well, what, what is, was a nitty gritty? But like, well, that was that was accused of like, well, they are uh, they are doing the backdoor maneuver. But then, like, well, the university, like, well, the student union in my university, like, well, issue a statement saying that, like, well, the Beijing government should intervene and investigate what is truly happening. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then, like, well, this on the first look perfectly fine like what well, it's simply like asking for accountability mm -hmm. but what is really like well troubling is that like well the whole idea of issuing a statement asking Beijing government to intervene uh, this idea was actually brought up by some of the like well, pro Beijing politicians in Hong Kong mm -hmm. so then like well there's articles like well uh, investigation like exposing the whole like well underground network of like how CCP like well took control of like well the student union by using different network so as to co-op students so at that moment I felt like oh Jesus like well this I didn't realize cool. yeah. like well this is what is really happening in Hong Kong even on campus so that was the point that I felt like, oh, we have to run for like, well, the student uh, union election that we got elected. 
then also that there was also the moment like how I got into like well, social movement and politics because once you got into student union you got to be exposed to, uh, by like well different like well activism work so then I uh, got the chance to like well interact with like well, labor activists environmental mm. activists like well, LGBTQ activists then that was the, also the year like well, at 2014 like well uh, people on the ground like uh, Hong Kongers were thinking about like how we could like fight for democracy mm -hmm. so there was an idea of like well uh, Occupy Central uh, with love and peace and yeah. the Occupy well, like, that was movement, awesome yeah but that, that was idea amazing. was actually also inspired by the Occupy Wall Street movement yeah. so like well so the global idea circulated and, and when it came to Hong Kong it was about like occupying like well uh, like the some legislature of the, like, yeah. the legislature and some yeah. of the uh, central areas in Hong Kong yeah and I was that, part of that I was in Occupy encampments in Chicago <laughs> yeah. it's oh. funny too because I was <laughs> the embarrassing thing though is I was in working in downtown Chicago and I was working at a big law firm that represented big banks, unfortunately. So I'd, I'd come downstairs from my office at the end of work, and I'd be working for big banks during the day and come down in the night to the encampments where people were occupied. But anyways, Yo. Uh, it's, I, so I was playing like this. I had this double life. I felt like Batman. It's like during the day, I'm a billionaire. I wasn't a billionaire, but I was a lot richer than I am now. And then at night, I'm part of the activist movement. But yeah, but that, So wait, but let me ask you this. So you're, you're, you said in 2011, you first heard about this, and you said, you know what? I'm not cool with this. Like people are getting arrested merely for protesting. There's something wrong about that. Right. And then you fast forward to 2014 and you're running for office. There's something in between there, right? Like what, what, what made you different? Cause not most people decide to get arrested or join a protest movement, especially against a government as powerful as the Chinese government. So was there something in your personal life? Like what made you, you specifically, what was different about you? Or was there something different about you? Do you think it was just kind of accidental that you ended up becoming a leader in this movement. Oh, that's a gradual process. Uh, and, and, and that have to start with like, well, the Occupy movement because mm -hmm. the Occupy movement lasts for a year and a half. Sure. It's not about like, well, occupying like, well, uh, 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 like uh, right after the idea came out, it was about like, well, like, uh, like uh, hosting different deliberation days, like mm -hmm. on campuses and also in community. Then people would got to vote like, well, on a referendum, like, well, cool. uh, held by the people themselves. So it's not officially endorsed by the government. Hmm. So it's electronically and also you have like, well, in person, like, well, uh, a polling station so that people could vote and when 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 people vote for like what well, the proposal uh, yeah. like what well, people offer for uh, concerning the uh, uh, political reform then we will submit the proposal to, to the, the government, government. Nice. And if, the, if the government rejected it then we will occupy so oh, like wow. in that so what you started this in 2011 that was like well that was like well it started in 2020 uh, sorry it started in 2013 2013 yeah okay before the umbrella movement you had already started movement. doing this that's awesome and this is all inspired by occupy wall street uh, yes, 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 yes. And also like other global Occupy movement. Yeah, like Indignados in Spain. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about them. There was like a housing movement that was incredible. There was a big movement in Israel uh, about housing and just income inequality where people are occupying intersections and public streets. It was pretty amazing. But okay, cool. So you start doing these occupations. How does the government respond when you occupy initially? They and just actually, how did you decide you wanted to do this? I mean, why, why did you decide to take that risk? Like, weren't your parents telling you, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, they were so busy. Like, well, they're so busy they like, while working busy. on their own You realize yeah. you were in jail? It's yeah. like, where did our son go? Oh, he's in prison. All right, let's get yeah. back to work. Yeah. Really? That's it? They were just too busy? They never talked to you about it? No, they were just so busy. So they were not really aware Paying of like, what I was doing. Like, well, uh, so. Okay. But they were aware when you got in jail, right? <laughs> when, I, when I got arrested, when I got arrested for the first time, like occupying like, well, a, uh -huh. a street, like, well, then they were approached by like, well, the CCP Asian. Okay. But I, I was not aware of like, well, their yeah, communication their, their at the time. Take. Like, it was yeah. only like, a two, like well, 
three, four months later, yeah. and they told me like, well, actually, like there are some like well, government officials like coming to us and asking us like, well, well hey, what what your son yeah. was doing? Maybe you should take him away and just like, yeah. oh, take him to the United States or take him to the UK. Just they leave said Hong that Kong. To you. Really? Yes, yes. They wanted you out. Yes, they are wow. actually like uh, the underground agent, like well, by the CCP government. So they are not. They do not belong to the Hong Kong uh, wow. officials. Interesting. So they're not even. It's like people from China and from yeah, Beijing yeah, they're people from in. China. Yeah, I got to say your story about not telling your parents about what you're doing, that, that's very close to my heart. Because the first time I was arrested, my parents had no idea. They didn't even know I was an actress. They thought I was a professor. They're like, our son just got arrested? We thought he was teaching law in Northwestern. He's in a jail now. I was like, oh, sorry, mom. Didn't tell you about that part of my life. So when did they find out? Why, why, uh, so they found out. Um, you don't actually, I don't even know if they ever found out about my first arrest. Oh. So I was arrested in 2007. I was a faculty member at Northwestern School of Law. Mm -hmm. And they thought, you know, here's this fancy guy, our son. Because I had been kind of like you. I'd been the mm -hmm. black sheep of the family. I'm the youngest, too. Mm -hmm. um, was I spoiled, too? I was probably a little spoiled. <laughs> I was probably a little spoiled. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, I, I'd mostly been like a rule-following kid. But I just had strong views about some things. And one yeah. of the things I had strong views about was animals. But I never thought I'd be an activist. Because, mm -hmm. like, my dad, uh, my grandfather, my great-grandfather were all, like, academics or wanted to be academics. So I just thought I'm going to become a professor too because you know I'm the firstborn son of the firstborn son of the firstborn son. Everybody's a professor. I guess mm -hmm. I should be a professor. That's just, and that's, this, is, this is why I think you all are so cool because I feel like most of the Chinese kids I know, including myself, for most of my life, I mean, I've changed obviously quite a bit because I'm no longer a professor. I'm now a felon. <laughs> but most Chinese kids, you know, the path is set out for you by the authorities and you just follow it. You know, that's kind of the way we're taught. Um, but, and that's what I did. And it was honestly, for me, a lot of it was just the path that I was set out to do, I just wasn't very good at. Like, I was good enough to become a professor, but I realized I cannot do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I don't like teaching kids, especially in modern law schools. One of the many reasons not to go to law school is because almost everybody goes to law school, and I don't even fault them for this, but because they have huge debt. Everybody who goes to law school, at least when I went to law school, most people are just concerned about making money. Mm -hmm. And if you if you care about things in the world, it's just not a great culture. It's like everyone's trying to get the gig at the, the highest paying law firm, that sort of thing. Um, but I also just realized I, I didn't like doing research, you know, because mm -hmm. research mostly involves just sitting in front of a computer by yourself. Yeah. And I like talking to people like you two. Mm -hmm. But um, so, yeah, but my parents didn't realize I, I had made this decision mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I made the decision, I didn't even intend to get arrested. I just mm -hmm. got arrested almost by accident. But it was a pretty life-changing moment because mm -hmm. it just taught me how corrupt the system is, even in the United States. I mean, the United States, in my view, I don't know if you view it this way. I think the United States has much more freedom than mm -hmm. Hong Kong, certainly, mm -hmm. and China. Mm -hmm. You'd probably agree with that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, people in the United States don't understand how nice it is here. It's like, I mean, like I, I read a couple, maybe a month ago, that someone was jailed for publishing a children's book. Yes. Right? Yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, a children's book, not even like a political book, just like a children's book that was talking about, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember reading the contents. I was like, what? Someone's sitting in a jail cell right now mm -hmm. for this? Mm -hmm. This is kind of cute. It's like, it's, yeah. it's cute and like something I'd share with my nephew or my niece. I don't have a nephew. I mean, my nieces, but not something you should land you in prison. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a stark contrast. So anyways, my arrest, yeah. I'm sure it was much less traumatic than yours. I mean, was it traumatic when you were first arrested? Were you scared? I was I was pretty much very guilty. Like I cried, really? I cried, mm. I cried. Like I was thinking about my dad because I was like, wow. oh, am I doing re am so I really doing the right thing? Like, well, family. if I got arrested, would they be worried? But I like in the interview with a journalist on site of the Occupy Zone, okay. I was also like, well, telling her that like, well, I felt like 
this is something that we should do yeah, because like, yeah. if we are not like well standing out and stand against the government and talking about uh, uh, what we aspire for, then there will be no one like well doing this kind of work because if we as young youngsters are already on the forefront, then it meant like well we have to do something because there's yeah. no others like who are who like well gonna do this? yeah. So um, so it's like very mixed feelings. But once you like well take the step forward and then you got arrested, then you also realize there's nothing that you should be terrified. Okay. Actually, tell me more about that at First West. What was the nature of the protest? It was an occupation and it was, t but tell me what, why were you occupying and what, what were you occupying? It was like a trial run of the later Occupy. So, okay. it, the, so the trial one was actually really to show much so, like well, to the government saying that like we are here for we're real. We're serious about this. We're here yeah. for real. Because like, well, like, well, uh, 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 perhaps like a week or two weeks before the trial run, the Occupy, then actually like, well, like we, we, uh, we, we organized the referendum. So mm -hmm. there were more than like well, 700, like well, uh, thousand people voted. So wow. like, uh, like that's, that's Holy a, that's crap. So I thought when you said like we're organizing little referendums just among the people, I thought it was like 30 or 40 people. 700,000 <laughs> people voted? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that's like And then you bring this to the government and say, hey, 700,000 of us just said we want this. Yes. Can you do something? Yes. They say no, and you just walk in peacefully and occupy the legislature? Uh, at first, like, well, the, the street. Like, the street well, the outside. Street, the street outside. Okay. The street so outside. it was like Zuccotti Park. Yeah, in, so in that's like a trial City. run. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but, yeah. Is that when you got arrested? When you're occupying yeah, the street? Yeah, that was the first time like, I, got, I got arrested. arrested. Yeah. Okay. So tell me more about it. So like, there's a street outside of the legislature. What did you do? Did you set up tents? Oh, okay. Uh, oh, when, when, when the umbrella movement really started, like, well, then it's outside the legislature and outside the government headquarters. But the trial run actually happened in uh, one of the like, well, commercial area because mm. that was a trial run. And it was also like, well, the final destination of, of, of the rally, like, well, on, on that day. So that's like a two different occasion. But the trial run, like, well, uh, that was my first time being arrested. Uh, but for the Occupy during the Umbrella Movement, uh, there was like a three huge Occupy zones, mm -hmm. like well in 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 Amatin, Causeway Bay, and Monco. But they were all like well uh, the most crucial uh, business, financial, mm -hmm. okay. or administrative zones in Hong Kong. Okay, so before you took over the legislative building, you were occupying various commercial centers, right? Just right. demanding the government to make some change. And, and so tell me specifically, where did you occupy the first time you got arrested? Uh, that was, uh, I mean, that was like, well, th there's a street called Charta Row, but if you visit Hong Kong, then that's where you, you usually go shopping. Mm. So it's like, well, lots of malls, like, well, yeah. on the two sides. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so basically, like, it is, a, it's, it is an area for tourists. Sure. Uh, but it's also a destination for the rally. Sure. So it's a high profile area. Yeah, it's a, a lot of people. area. Okay. Yeah. I've probably been there. Yeah. I've been to Hong Kong. Yeah, I think not so. recently, I think so. but many yeah. times. Yeah. We try to block the traffic. So, okay. so, 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 so there's like a short term goal. Like, a, if we could, like, well, sustain Occupy until, like, well, next day, 8 a.m., then at least, like, well, that's the success of the trial run. Wow. Okay. So you're basically trying to do it for 24 hours. Yeah, like 24 hours, 24 hours. overnight. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so, did everybody get arrested or were you, were you, and were you a leader of this protest? Yeah, I was one of our leaders. Like, 500 okay. people got arrested. Like, wow. Well, the trial run. 500 people. How many people participated? Did all? I think, like, uh, some some people just come and go. Like, okay. well, perhaps they return home. They, like, they stand uh, by the side. Like, well, because, like, well, uh, that was a peaceful uh, uh, protest. Demonstration. So people yeah. could still decide, like, well, uh, at the very minute uh, whether they want to opt in or opt out. Okay. So they could basically leave and not get arrested right. if they wanted yeah. to. But part of the point was, we're going to stay here until yeah. Arrested if necessary. Yeah. Just to make a fuss. So, yeah. I mean, you've never been arrested before. How do you prepare yourself for that? 
Uh, like well, there was like two Asian, There was like two occasions that we have to sign a pledge. Huh. So the first time, I, I think I signed it on uh, in 2014. Uh, so there are three options. Like well, you would uh, you 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 uh, you would be you would be like uh, playing a supporting role. Mm -hmm. The second option is like well, you will get arrested. Yeah. Uh, and you will like defend yourself in court. And the third option is like well, you get arrested and you will not defend yourself in court. Hmm. And the three level of participation actually is like well, translated by like the three uh, different layers of civil disobedience, hmm. like well, uh, inspired by like well, uh, Dr. King. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's the Hong Kong version. But the first time, I think, I think I, I struggle between like, well, checking the box uh, between like playing a supporting role mm -hmm. or like, well, uh, arrested. being arrested. Like I forgot the exact details on like which <laughs> options. So probably, probably. You checked the wrong box. It was yeah, like, oh crap, I'm in jail. Yeah, so Oops. probably I checked the first box. Like, well, I wanted to play a supporting role. So I still had a lot of hesitation on whether yeah. I want to get arrested. So I think that was a year I was still a member of the student union. Yeah. But when I got elected to uh, become a, f uh, a representative of the federation, uh, which represented like uh, eight different student unions in Hong Kong, I checked the second box. So, so I was willing to uh, get arrested. Yeah. And, but I would still try to like defend myself in court. So that was the strategy I got. But that was a gradual process, like a symbolic pledge that you have to sign. So that to prepare yourself. But really like right after the trial run, we also like well, had meeting with lawyers and also like veteran activists like well in a room uh, uh, discussing what might be the legal risk, hmm. what would happen, how could we be prepared like mentally and physically and, 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 and to get like well legal support. Sure. And uh, once we got arrested, who would contact like other people and, 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 and to update them our whereabouts so that like well there will be supporters, lawyers yeah. like well visiting the police station and to provide legal support. So uh, veteran activists, you mean people from 2003 who had been part of the first protest campaign in Hong Kong? So like what people are you referring to? Sorry. Because I, you were saying there was a, and I remember this, there was a prior movement in 2003 or 2004 in Hong Kong, right? Uh, Democracy protests. Article protest. 23. The article 23. Right. I'm just wondering who are these veteran activists? Because Hong Kong has been in Chinese control for such a short period of time. So who are the veteran activists? Uh, they're mostly like well activists from the community movement, from the labor movement, okay, from just the from other issues. Movement. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so, tell me what the experience was like in in jail the first time. Like, how did you feel? You you said you cried, but did they treat you poorly? How, how did they even? Did they have enough space for five hundred people? They don't. They, they don't. don't. They okay. don't. And and that's why they have to reserve a space that's usually for uh for the police to train their like well their, their newcomers. Huh. So that's like a really far away from the urban center. Yeah. So they have to like well prepare like well uh those like well really gigantic bus. Oh, so I think I heard about this. Yeah. They were they they were yeah. changed because that's why no one who was getting arrested in Hong Kong was accessible because they're all being shipped to these far-flung places right right yeah so it's like more like megabus like well here in the u.s they have to reserve yeah. like well dozens of megabus to transport people like well to the station uh and but that that but but because like well the police at the time they don't want to make a fuss so they were trying to be as like well peaceful and polite as possible compared to like what well, other events but later on like well they became more aggressive but like for the trial run itself like well uh, they don't want to like attract too many media attention. Huh. So like while well, in the police station, I think like we were treated, we we were we were treated like well fairly like well uh, quite well, not huh. as awful as what happened Probably later. later. Yeah. there was a lot of like because they were awful still news. thinking this is gonna go away if we yes. just if we don't respond too much. Yes. It'll go away. But I think there's also, you know, a difference between people who are known by the international community versus, you know, protesters who were lesser known by the international community. Because that was actually a huge trend in 2019 that, uh, you know, known activists would 
be a bit better treated than anonymous protesters, let's say, because police would beat them up, you know, do atrocious uh, things, but then these protesters do not really have the channel or the platform to let the world know. So even until now, uh, I know that a lot of uh, protesters in prison who don't really have a lot of international connection, they would get treated very badly yeah. versus people who are more known, they might get, you know, a bit of a fairer treatment. Interesting. Yeah. 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 They got beat up today. Yeah. That's wow. a different, different stage. Yeah. How many of your friends are in prison right now? A lot. a lot of oh, them. Yeah. Even like one of the author of the uh, ch uh, children's book that we just talked about. Oh, like one, one of your friends. She's in my cohort. She's in my really? cohort. In like college? In university. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So can you still contact them? Or is there a way to, can you write she, letters? She just came out. Like she just came out. So okay. we could contact them. But like, well, for uh, safety purpose, we try to can. like well, maintain certain yeah. distance. Wow. Because contacting you could be dangerous for them. Right. Yes. Yeah. And both of you, you can't go back to Hong Kong now, right? No. Um, so actually, my story in 2019 was that um, I was in here, like being a student in the U.S., right? And I wasn't an activist by any means uh, by that time. And I was looking for ways to participate, you know, into the movement and be part of the movement from afar. So I actually started doing a lot of uh, online campaigns, w mm -hmm. which included, you know, a global uh, uh, campaign of putting up full-page newspaper headlines in New York Times, Financial Times, like all the big newspaper mm. ahead of the G20 Global Summit okay. and tell, you know, global leaders about Hong Kong. And actually, uh, the prime minister of Japan at the time, uh, Abby, Mm -hmm. uh, he talked to Xi Jinping and he said, hey, what's going on in Hong Kong like in front yeah. of all the media? So there was a bit of the traction there. But from then onwards, I started doing a lot of, you know, online organizing, including supporting uh, protesters on the front line. So I was watching actually like nine live streams of the protest scene at the same wow. time just to locate where the police are. So I would update online with the protesters on the ground in Hong Kong at the time and tell them, okay, at the next cross section, there would be like five police walking yeah. your way. And this is while you're a student too. Yeah, exactly. So how they you, would how are you learn how that? to. Hmm? How are you managing that? I was, I mean, Just I not was going not to class? doing, yeah, exactly. I was skipping <laughs> all the classes. You skipping all your classes. But all my professors understood. They, of course. They, they yeah. knew what was going on. But yeah, um, they, I'm sure they were inspired. Yeah, they were like, this is awesome. This I, is a better education you can get it. Did you go to NYU? Is that right? Yeah, NYU. Okay. But uh, a lot of my friends and protesters I was working with, they all yeah. got, you got know, arrested. arrested or they went into exile. But yeah, I think now um, really the Hong Kong movement thrived in 2019 because everyone was participating and mm -hmm. everyone managed yeah, to, it was you know, be helpful. And I think that was really a huge, you know, step forward from, you know, previous movements because the hierarchy of activism is gone. Yeah, you know, to be honest, mass and, participation. exactly. But to be honest, in activism, there's always this hierarchy, right? You yeah, have, you know, the more known you are, the more you can do. Yeah. But I think that hierarchy was kind of reversed in 2019. Or, you know, it was it was the soft, you know, people like me who didn't know anyone. I managed to lead, you know, a, a few hundred volunteers around the world and people trusted me. Yeah, and that really changed the entire dynamic of the movement. But right now, um, our movement is... So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to do that? Why did you decide to step up and try to become a leader? You're, I, you're at mm -hmm. NYU. What are you studying at NYU? Uh, philosophy and media. Philosophy. Yeah. philosophy and media. You've got a comfortable life ahead of you. You don't yes. have to do anything. I right? was so actually... What, what makes you decide, mm -hmm. I'm going to try to become a leader of this protest movement where everyone is getting arrested yeah. and thrown away in a cage. Yeah. I was actually uh, planning to become a filmmaker and an artist. I was oh. doing art at the time. But um, really, it's the sense of obligation that you don't know where it comes from but you feel like you have to do something because mm -hmm. these are your friends these are you know people in your home country suffering and yeah. of course 
you know, you wouldn't want to see them just, you know, going to jail and you were not able to see them. And is that sense of obligation uh, that pushed me to do more. But then eventually, I think in uh, 2020, after the national security law, uh, which right now is uh, the law that uh, the government uses to put everyone into jail, uh, really makes me realize if I don't step up, there's no one here no one because here. everyone no is, is in jail. No exactly. In jail. Wow. And also, I think... Uh, because I have been in the U.S. for a longer time, while other activists, they may need more time to adjust. So I feel like I should at least, you know, fill the gap right now and yeah. sustain the movement before, sure. you know, and make sure it doesn't die out. Yeah. And that I saw it as my mission. And that's why I, you know, took it to me that I should step up. But I think um, one, so, but, um, so I joined Hong Kong Democracy Harm, so the organization I'm working in. But in the very beginning. Say it again, it's Hong Kong Democracy? Council, yeah, Hong Council. Kong Democracy okay. Council. And this but, is a nonprofit organization? No, Nonprofit, exactly. Okay. But in the very beginning, I didn't tell anyone about yeah. my uh, involvement us. of the, you know, online internet underground movement at all. Like even Alex, who didn't know about it when I was, mm. you know, joining the AKDC, and mm. he was like, okay, so there's this person who's kind of familiar with Hong Kong who can help. Nice. And when I told them, hey, I actually organized that, they're like, holy, <laughs> yeah. And I think that was pretty interesting. But um, the reason that I came forward and started telling people about my story publicly was because I want to call on other Hong Kongers who were anonymous before yeah. to realize everyone has this power and everyone has this ability to actually continue speaking for Hong Kong. Mm. Because I think what is happening now is that a lot of Hong Kongers are, uh, because they're worried because they're scared and they feel like the movement does not belong to them anymore that they start you know shelving themselves up they start yeah. you know you know silencing themselves but i want to remind them you lived through 2019 you saw how everyone could be a force mm -hmm. in this movement it can actually still be that way now if you step up so yeah. i really wanted my case and my story to be a story to call on to everyone actually not only Hong Kongers, but people yeah, who are fighting world. for freedom in general, that you don't have to be, you know, a politician or, you know, some someone with very, you know, extremely sophisticated views or anything to be an activist. Everyone can contribute in their own ways and everyone can start initiating new ideas and new projects. We have so much things we need to do, but we only have, you know, a pair of hands. So really, we need some uh, the entire population to join the movement. And yeah. that's why uh, I decided to come forward and to, you know, take up this role to really start uh, telling on my people to join me in this. So movement. before this, you were kind of anonymously organizing. Yes, you were just like getting people online. Entirely anonymous. And just helping people coordinate and communicate yes, in Hong exactly. Kong. So I had two aliases. Uh, okay. One of them is Macaroni. <laughs> nice. Yeah, one of them is Random. A lot, most people knew me by those names. So Macaroni and random? Yeah. Nice. And when they knew, okay. I'm you didn't even have to be like Macaroni 532 or anything? You were like just uh, Macaroni? Yeah, I, actually there's a brand of Macaroni that okay. I really liked. Uh, it's nice. in Hong Kong and that's what I use. <laughs> and one funny thing is most of the people I worked with thought I was a guy huh. for some reason. And yeah. when I, you know, came out and I was actually a girl, they were like, wow, I'm so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, come on. Huh. Girls can get it done, you know? So wait, wait, tell me specifically what you're doing is macaroni. Like, specifically, <laughs> what are you doing? What is, what is macaroni doing around yeah. 2018, 2019? Mm -hmm. So, uh, 2019, mostly, 2019. and 2020. So one and of that, was that your first leap into activism, 2019? Because you said you had watched 2014 and yes, have been inspired. Yeah. Was 2019 the moment you started mm -hmm. doing organizing exactly, and activism? Exactly, exactly. Okay. But tell me what you're doing anonymously. By the way, we are at 633. Can we go a little bit longer?
Is that okay? Yeah, I, I think until 40 or 45 Okay, so let's yeah. finish your story and then I'll, okay. we'll make some concluding thoughts. But what is Macaroni doing in 2019? Yeah, so Macaroni, one of the first things that she did, she. She! Remember? Yeah, she, not Everyone a out there who's calling yeah. Macaroni he. Don't misgender Macaroni. <laughs> macaroni is a she. It's been proven on this podcast. <laughs> one thing I did was uh, doing a huge crowdfunding campaign. I crowdfunded millions of US dollars in like three hours Holy to put yeah, all the front page ads uh, around, you know, the newspapers around the world in 13 countries, I think. That's amazing. And this entire campaign from start to finish took only three to five days. Wow. How did you raise millions of dollars in three to five days? That's the beauty of the Hong Kong's movement at yeah, that time. Yeah, because people just stepped up. Yeah, everyone just wanted to help. help everyone yeah. was so desperate of being heard by the international community sure. because yeah. all this time we were like, okay, where is the international community? Where is, you know, US, UK, the countries, where are they? And that's why when this initiative came up, people really wanted to help. So that was one thing. And I also, you know, started this letter campaign, uh, writing letter to the UN about Hong Kong that, you know, we just posted templates online and then all the netizens around the world would help, you know, circulating mm. it, sending it. And also uh, the protest route that I talked about. So we would design the protest route for uh, protesters because when they're on the ground, they're busy, you know, fighting with the police, running away from the police. Sometimes they wouldn't have the best information of what's happening, you know, one sure. street away from yep. them. So you can provide the information. Exactly. And sometimes online. they would just run into a trap, right? Yeah. So they need someone who has a more comprehensive view of wow. the entire streets. And that's what we did. You were like military intelligence for activists. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's actually pretty funny that I yeah. did that. Yeah, because I'm really not a very athletic person. <laughs> I'm not very combatant. I can't really fight You're on the street. athletic where it so. matters, in the mind. <laughs> yeah. Athletic in the mind. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. But um, that's what... I can tell. It's very true. Mm, part of the things I did, but I also helped, you know, setting up routes for people to leave Hong Kong, flee Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the work later on was about that because a lot of protesters had to, had flee. to flee. They yeah. had to find safe places to stay inside of Hong Kong, you know, hide yeah. away from police arrest as well. But um, just, you know, from 19, uh, 2019 to 2020, I witnessed my teammates getting arrested one by one. Wow. And all of them, I actually... Like your online teammates, the people who are helping exactly. you. Exactly. Okay. So I, I've never so met them back, in person. So they go back to Hong Kong and they get arrested? Is that the way it works? Some of they're them, not being extradited, And some of them were in Hong Kong already. They were already in Hong Kong. Yeah. And, and they just were anonymous and somehow the police exactly, found out who they were. Exactly. Wow. And um, How does it make you feel? I mean, that must be terrifying. Yeah, definitely. Just talking about it actually made me tear up a bit because I think the thing is um, we have actually never met each other in person. Jesus, yeah. And to know that, you know, it's hard and difficult yeah. to do that, you know, even in the coming few years, I think it's hard and you can never tell this person how grateful you are. Sure. And even though we have never met each other, we don't, you know, it, previously we didn't know each other's real name. I mean, yeah. I found out later on because I saw the court documents and everything. Yeah. But um, can I just say that mm -hmm. that shows how deep a shared vision is? Yes. In connecting people, you know, even if you're not family, you don't even know each other's names. Yeah. When you meet someone who has a vision that's the same as yours, it's mm -hmm. incredibly powerful bonding experience, mm -hmm. you know, and I've had that experience too with animal rights and other causes, but yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted, but continue. Yeah. There's this immense amount of trust. I, I yeah. can't, you know, really, uh, rationalize how that trust came from, but yeah. we, we could die for each other, you know, yeah. like, I think that's the spirit of 2019. Um, but a lot of them, I mean, some of them have uh, went to jail. Some of them just disappeared. I don't know wow. if it's because they just don't want to be in touch or if, you know, something happened yeah, to them. they were killed. Yeah, we don't know. But um, there's a lot of those 
cases happening. So one thing I do want to, you know, tell everyone is that, you know, a lot of the times when we see Hong Kong's movement or, you know, really movements around the world in general, we remember the most famous people mm -hmm. who have, you know, been into jail and you know, sure. came out, talk about different things. But really, a lot of these movements are supported and really lived by anonymous uh, protesters. Yeah. And they should be remembered and they should be 100%. honored as well. 100%. And that's why I really hope that governments around the world can step up in supporting these uh, activists and yeah. protesters who are fleeing. They need a lot of help in settling yeah. in new countries as well. So uh, did you, did you after you came out, you came out in 2019 as macaroni? Oh, uh, actually, this year in 2021. Oh, wow. I waited, yeah, three years. So it was three years. Nobody knew, not even my parents. So you're just doing this very secretly online. Yes. Not even my closest Damn. friends. Yeah, okay. They saw the post and they were like, what the hell, Anna? Why didn't you so tell me? So 2019 to 2021, are you a student this entire time? Yes. Did you go to Hong Kong at all during that time I period? Did, I did go back to Hong Kong in 2020. Were you generally. scared? I wasn't that scared at really? the time. Yeah, I was actually... Why not? Were your friends getting arrested already? Not at the time. Okay, so they weren't getting but, arrested yet. Um, at the time, I think some of us were being killed by the police. Mm. So we were a bit worried. But I think at the time, you know, the the desire to help and to meet people and to be part of this was so strong and want to fight is so strong that you don't care. You don't like, care. You know, yeah. you think about, you know, the chance of getting arrested, but it's, it's like, what's nothing. What's the big deal it's compared to the, what we're trying to accomplish? Exactly. So you knew about her before she was out. Like you knew Macaroni and Random were. I only knew her real name. Like okay. I only knew like her by Anna, like uh, in in summer of 2019. Yeah. So I, okay. I was not aware of like her Organizing. anonymous <laughs> activism. He thought until I was last a year. community organizer because at That's the good. time I was trying to do some like student organizing. Okay. You know, outside and yeah. Was this at the University of Hong Kong? No, uh, no in New York. So I was New trying York, to okay. do, you know... Student uh, organizing student. for Hong Kong at NYU. Exactly, okay, exactly. Interesting. So you met in that context, and you had no idea that she was macaroni. No, no. Wow. No, no, yeah. Why, this is like a great Batman story. It's like yeah, Batman's... Yeah. I, I, was, I was joking about Batman, and we have a real Batman here. Yay. Batman's name is Anna. There you go. Everyone knows now. A she. Okay, so, yeah. when you, so when you came out, mm -hmm. um, I mean, there was some risk involved. I mean, some big risk. Yeah. Do you... I mean, so what change in your, like, just tell me about that process. Like, you knew you couldn't come back to Hong Kong after that, mm -hmm. right? So how did you make the decision to do that? Yeah, honestly, it was definitely a very tough decision in the very beginning because um, there was a time that uh, I was anonymous the entire time, right? Uh -huh. So I had to think, okay, if I want to reserve uh, the possibility of going back to Hong Kong, then maybe I have to be silent and completely yeah. quiet outside of Hong Kong. But not being able to say anything killed me. Mm -hmm. um, I was so numb and I was honestly very depressed because mm. um, I couldn't say, I couldn't even tell my friends that what yeah. I did, right? So you can tell your cat. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's the one person you oh, can actually, always trust. At the time, I haven't adopted my cat. Oh, yeah. So you didn't even her. have your cat. No, I was all you alone. Nothing. Yeah, you were all exactly. alone. Poor Anna. Yeah, and uh, so I had a lot of, you know, mental struggle of, like, sure. what I wanted to decide. And at one point, I was actually very ready to fly back to Hong Kong and be in jail with wow. my teammates because I thought be I have than, to yeah. Yeah, be with them together. Yeah. But um, eventually, I decided I would be, you know, uh, more more of, you know, more effective if I stay here and keep yeah. speaking about my story. And I try to be more utilitarian. Yeah. And um, and that's why I chose to stay here. But really... Because you, when you're in jail in Hong Kong, it's not like you can continue to communicate. Exactly. They don't let you continue to protest exactly. or say things about you the government. It's not like in the United things. States where... Like, I, I was actually... I was 
imminently facing incarceration just mm. literally a week and a half ago. And we had all these plans for me to continue to organize in prison. So, it was, I mean, it was going to be a sacrifice and I was not going to be happy in prison because U.S. prisons are hellholes. I mean, granted, Chinese prisons are probably hellholes too. But I could still write letters. I could even make phone calls. I could even do video conferences, amazingly, mm. you know, um, until they shut them down. So I could still talk about the things I care about most. But in Hong Kong, that's not the way it is. When you get arrested, you just kind of are out of the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. because uh, they read through all the letters oh, that you're sure. going they to write. They don't like to say anything political. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and you're, I can already tell your voice is powerful. You're a very good communicator. So I think you made the right <laughs> call. You. We need your voice on the outside. Yeah, but friend. hopefully it does help because um, we don't know how long it's going to take, right? Yeah. So right now, I think um, a lot of people do try to ask us, oh, how long do you think it's going to take until we can go home? Mm -hmm. I try not to give an answer because honestly, I don't know. How don't can know. I know? And we can only prepare for both like short-term and long-term goals. Okay. So let's say, okay, if the CCP does fall tomorrow, then we'll have to be ready to go back and you know, prepare a democracy future for Hong Kong. But if it takes, you know, decades or even generations, yeah. then we have to start raising, you know, second generations that are capable of continuing our missions. Sure. So for example, the Tibetan community actually does really well on this. Really? Um, I'm constantly amazed by how their second and third generations are able to, to pick organizing. up the fight. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Even if they haven't been home. Exactly. They have never even, even been home. you know, seen Tibet, but in their mind, Tibet is always their home. Yeah, their home. Exactly. That's amazing. And that's what I aspire uh, to build for Hong Kong. I aspire to build this political diaspora where Hong Kongers, um, no matter where they are, who they are, uh, they would remember Hong Kong is their home and it is a place that they're supposed to go back to one day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, my hope would be it's not just Hong Kongers, it's Chinese people. You know? yeah, and I, maybe not even just Chinese people, human beings on this planet who care about freedom. Exactly, exactly. All of us should be in this fight because it's such an important fight, not just because of the size and significance of the Chinese Communist Party mm. and the nation of China, but because, you know, we're living in a crisis movement yes. around the world. You know, whether it's authoritarianism in Russia or in China or even in the United States, if the dominoes start falling the wrong way, I, I could see a real cascade mm -hmm. of authoritarianism and fascism spreading around the world. Mm. Um, and I think, on the other hand, if we support resistance movements and, and dictators fall, it will inspire people all over the world to mm -hmm. fight harder. And, and so we can fight back against authoritarianism everywhere mm -hmm. by supporting resistance everywhere. Definitely. Right? So it's so important. Um, when you came out, what, what happened? Did the Chinese government issue a warrant? Do you, do you know if there's like an active warrant for your arrest? Is there a warrant for your arrest right now? Are you, you, you can't go back. I can't go back. How there. do you know you can't go back? Because you just know because everyone else who goes back gets arrested? Uh, because a national security law said, like, well, if you collude with foreign forces, <laughs> then you would you'll be arrested. You'll yeah. be arrested. Okay. And yeah. they consider you colluding with foreign forces. Yeah. So by nature, like, well, we are doing like, well, advocacy work in D.C., Washington, then mm -hmm. like, well, you're out. Yeah, yeah, okay. out. Yeah. And same for you. You just because of the national security law, you yes. know, the moment you step foot in Hong Kong, they're going to sweep you up. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And do also, they try and mess mm -hmm. with you here at all? Do you know if they're like Chinese agents who are trying to mess with democracy activists in the diaspora there was an incident yesterday in uk mm -hmm. really uh, yeah and i could talk about it yeah know. so um the council general uh of ch the chinese embassy in the uk actually stepped out of the council to you know tear down a protester's banner and they uh -huh. were even trying to drag one of the hong kong's protesters into the, the chinese embassy wow. that's crazy exactly and Fortunately, Did they succeed? They didn't, no. Because no, once they get in, it's hard to get them out. Exactly. Because it's, it's not, gonna be a it's not UK crisis. territory anymore. Exactly. It becomes like a diplomatic incident. Exactly. So, Dang. And there's actually but a lot But they've also of... committed a crime in the UK, probably. 
Yeah, so. there's actually a lot of uh, 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 police stations of the okay. CCP around the world. So Safeguard Defenders, one of the nonprofit that works in the uh, human rights space, they recently published this uh, report about how you know in New York and London and Glasgow, a lot of these cities have uh, back end uh, have back end police stations of the Chinese government trying to surve do surveillance work That's on crazy. their people. So it's. It's it's pretty crazy, and there's a lot of uh, um, you know infiltration, espionage activity as well. Mm -hmm. And when we go to the hill, we hear from our congressional uh, uh, allies that how you know the Chinese embassies are using different ways to lobby and mm -hmm. trying mm -hmm. you know to use different agents to you know affect policy changes. So it's happening everywhere. And also here in the U.S., uh, one of our community members uh, who is really a very a motivating youngster, he always posts flyers around the street about Hong Kong. And mm -hmm. one day he was just attacked and assaulted by one wow. of, you know, a Chinese. And a lot of the times these things actually um, may not be from a CCP agent per se, but they are from very patriotic, you know, people. Chinese yeah, who are people. are being manipulated. And exactly. Yeah. And brainwashed by CCP. Yeah. And those are actually a very uh, huge force in the United States because a lot of the times uh, community protests they get you know rampaged by these you know very patriotic Chinese and you can't tell if they're CCP agents right yeah, they can really sure. be just patriotic but yeah. at the same time by virtue of being patriotic they are being weaponized as yeah. one of the you know resistance force against us so yeah, yeah. so actually I said I was gonna ask one more question but if we have time I'll ask you too because mm -hmm. you just said something that's very interesting to me what sort of infiltration has occurred so they're like plants within your movement from the Chinese government or her, like spies? Is that what you mean? Yeah, so there was actually a report by the uh, DOJ previously about how there have been a few Chinese And that's Chinese the United spies. States Department of Justice. Exactly. Okay. exactly. Uh, uh, Chinese spies trying to get information about Hong Kong activists, activists Chinese wow. activists. They would set up, you know, dinner meetings with uh, uh -huh. uh, community members who are not very aware of the dynamics. Yeah, yeah and a lot of those things happen. And also a lot of, you know, phishing attempts on our accounts that happen yeah, so all they can the time, hacking your... attempts. Wow. Exactly. So really, and we have all, also... So you get like, random emails that say, you can have a free $1,000 Amazon gift card if you just click here and give us your Not password. Not only that, there would be people sending me texts and Probably Chinese smarter than that, yeah. Out of the blue and asking, hey, what is your plan this weekend? And yeah. I don't even know who, who that person is. is. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's scary too, because apparently some of the spyware, you don't even have to click on it, just from opening it. Yeah. Because this apparently happened to Jeff Bezos, of all people. Because, mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, the most powerful man in the world, or the richest man in the world, or second richest, I should say. Yeah. When he was... Considering kind of working with MBS, mm -hmm. uh, Mohammed, what's his name? Or no, bin Salman, you know, the, the mm -hmm. crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And there, you know, like there's a question about whether Jeff Bezos would continue to work with him and, and fund these documentaries after the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, who's a journalist in this building, Washington mm -hmm. Post, or not in this building, but he worked for the Washington Post. Like MBS basically was trying to figure out what Jeff was up to and whether he was going to cancel contracts with Saudi Arabia. I don't remember the exact details. And he sent him just a, a WhatsApp message. And apparently he didn't even have to click on the link, but it immediately injected spyware into his phone that allowed him to electronically receive every single communication Bezos had ever sent. And I'm sure if Saudi Arabia can do this, China's doing it too. Yeah, for sure. So. And China is actually pretty ahead in, you know, digital yeah. authoritarianism Oh, absolutely. As well. It's scary. I mean, yeah. The New York Times has done some amazing reporting on this. Do you feel like you've met a spy who's pretending to be like a democracy activist? <sighs> Not sure. I, I mean, I'm pretty certain that I've definitely some met some of them, you know, uh -huh. seen some of them, but 
I don't know. I don't think, you know, in our closest circle or at least in HADC, yeah. I can trust everyone with my life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, in general, we have to be very careful. But so you're pretty confident time, he's not a spy. Yeah, definitely <laughs> That's <not>. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would, be, that would be deep, deep cover. Right. You'd be seven, eight years in, arrested multiple times just to be a spy. Yeah. <laughs> but I think one thing to remember is uh, while we have this fear of, you know, having a lot of spies in our space, it's still important to have a certain amount of trust uh, in our own people because I think trust right. is really a very important element in any movement that binds people together. So we try, you know, while we're careful, we still have to be genuine yeah. with each other and build. Yeah, because you can. If you don't have trust, you've got exactly. nothing. Exactly. You can't do anything. Yeah. It's so important. There's been a lot of paranoia in the movement I know best, which is animal rights, because there have been mm -hmm. a lot of infiltrators over the years. There is one instance of, uh, of an activist actually being impregnated by a police officer who was investigating the oh, movement. Oh, no. So the guy actually got so involved that he, like, was in a relationship with someone. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that guy got charged when it was discovered many, leaders, many years later because, I mean, it was essentially kind of a form of rape. It's like this mm -hmm. that's a deep, deep, disturbing, mm -hmm. you know, fraud perpetuated on people in the movement. Um, but, but I also think that the most dangerous thing that could happen from that sort of infiltration is the breakdown in trust. When people mm -hmm. are paranoid and just feel like, I don't know who's going to out to get yeah, me, who's exactly. going to try and send me to prison. Mm -hmm. So, all right, my last question, and then I'll let you go, because I know you all are very busy fighting for freedom. What gives you hope? Um, I think the people give me hope, really, mm -hmm. because um, without the people, nothing can happen. And just by seeing how Hong Kongers are still so motivated, even though we are scattered around the world with you know, not a lot of support, it gives me a lot of hope. Just uh, I talked about this youngster who posts flyers, you know, around streets. Mm -hmm. He actually uh, his foot is he can't really walk properly because his foot has been sprained a lot of times. But mm. still, even though it's extremely painful, he would post poster Everywhere. and there would be, you know, uh, another protester who fled to the United States. He walked all the way on foot from Florida to D.C. Wow to show really his determination to go home. So I think really uh, Hong Kongers were very innovative, but also not only about Hong Kongers, as you said, um, you know, freedom is about the entire world. And I think uh, one way to ensure how dictatorships would not come back is really to achieve global freedom wherever you, know, you are. And I think if we can achieve that global freedom, and when we see so many movements for freedom around the world, really it gives me hope because right now I see a network of freedom, uh, freedom fighters around the world, not only Hong Kongers, but yeah, for sure. Ukrainians, you know, Chinese, Rus you, you know, Chinese right now, they're really brave, of, you sure. know, posting all the banners inside of China, risking their lives. Mm -hmm. And these things, these acts of humanity, the nature of humans wanting to seek for freedom is exactly what gives me hope. Righteous words. What about you, Alex? What gives you hope? Yeah, I think what Anna said, like, well, encapsulate a lot of my thinking. Like, the people really give me hope, like, well, their determination. Mm -hmm. Like, what happened in the 2019 movement was, like, people really, like, well, they, refu they refused something that they dislike. They really wanted to see, like, a better future, a better Hong Kong. And that decision itself was really courageous and, and, and brave just because, like, well, it is that, that it is, is that the will to, like, well, uh, refuse to compromise, like, well, um, um, project project a future that like well telling people that like well there's no way for turning back there's really no way for turning back yeah. just because like well in the past like well Hong Kong people made a lot of compromises uh, out of the pressure of like the the global power the British the U S the, the 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 Chinese government but like well people have been like well try to be as like well tolerant as possible for like well multiple decades and it got 
us nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. And it was like, well, really up to like, well, the 2014 Umbrella Movement and 2019 Uprising, people were saying like, well, even we don't see like, well, uh, any like, well, pragmatic or, or possible future, like, well, overnight, we are still gonna like, well, trying to preserve like, well, what we, what we, what we want to preserve, uh, uh, like freedom, the love for freedom, and also the love for the land, uh, the love for uh, the concept of Hong Kong, of our home, a sense of belonging, and 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 like well, three years has passed. Like well, since the 2019 movement, I still see like a lot of people are trying to like well uh, uh, pick up the fight and trying awesome. to like preserve like well what they, what they could try to preserve, and it is really this spirit like well tells you and inform me that like well there's a lot of things that we can do together because like well. Uh, once, like, well, you refuse to make any compromise, then there's actually, like, well, limitless, like, uh, possibility for you ahead because, like, well, it is actually the moment that you decide right now might create, like, well, multiple possibility for you in the future and ahead. And uh, it requires like, only, like, energy, creativity, and also, like, well, uh, vision so as to see, like, well, when the moment will come and how we could, like, well, uh, uh, like, well uh, bring everything together, like, well, converging, like, all the forces and all the attempts, uh, all the initiatives uh, to, recreate, to recreate, like, well, uh, the idea of Hong Kong, like, either in the United States or back home in Hong Kong uh, for freedom and also for humanity, just because I think that is, like, a, a commonly shared, like, well, uh, idea of, like, well, uh, having, 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 having the power, like, well, uh, to choose, dictate, and, and 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 create the place that you want to live and 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 inhabit in, and I think that's like a very humble um, uh, request and, mm. and and or wish that like well human beings would like to achieve. Wise words, my friend. Wise words. Well, thank you so much for joining. Keep fighting, and and I'm gonna try and be more plugged into this fight too, to the extent I can. Like I told you before, let me know who in the Bay Area is doing this sort of work and I'd like to come to events, help mm -hmm. fundraising, whatever I can do because you're all doing righteous work and, and I'm proud to be at a table with you. Keep it up. Thank okay? you for Thank having you. us. For sure, yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for your support, yeah. Whew, that's a, a, a tough but powerful conversation and I'm just so appreciative to Alex and Anna for the work they're doing and the sacrifices they've made. I'm definitely going to try and stay in touch with them in the years to come. Um, but you should definitely go check out the Hong Kong democracy movement. Um, Anna Kwok and Alex Chow are both on Twitter and social media. You can follow their Twitter pages and, and follow the story of what's happening in Hong Kong. Because what's happening in Hong Kong, as I said at the start of this podcast, could be a cautionary tale for people around the world. As usual, I want to thank everyone who uh, joined in this podcast and helped out. Shalola Fakis for editing. Priya Sahani, Ronnie Rose, Dean Rizikowski, Julie Waldrip, we're all part of the, the podcast team. Thank you for listening. And if you learned something from this, um, share it with a friend and rate it on whatever podcast app you're using. But finally, let me just say, um, as we move towards the revamp, and I'll tell you who the special guest is going to be in just a few moments, so stay tuned. But as we move towards the revamp, I'm going to renew my request to all of you um, to be a part of this in a more engaged and participatory way. Because one of the reasons I'm, I'm starting this podcast and starting this new organization is I think we need to find more authentic, more meaningful, and more participatory mechanisms for human beings to relate to one another. And what that means with this podcast is I don't want this podcast just to be about what I'm saying to you. I want it to be about what you're saying to each other, what you're saying to me. Um, the sort of networks 
and movement and world we're building together. And for that to happen, we have to find ways to get you engaged and make you feel, feel like you're part of this conversation. And not just feel like you're part of this conversation, but really include you in this conversation. So we tried a few things. We had a couple of our audience members send in recorded questions that we could ask our guests. Um, if you have any ideas, send them my way. But um, the next conversation is, is in many ways a good one for starting this idea of a more grassroots style podcast because the guest is someone who's a legendary figure who launched a grassroots movement to protect farm animals in the United States, and that is Gene Bauer. He's been described as the conscience of the food movement. He's the founder of Farm Sanctuary. He performed the first recorded open rescue in U.S. history, and I believe it was 1984. I should look at my dates, but it was a sheep by the name of Hilda at the Lancaster Stockyards in Pennsylvania. And Gene has some pretty incredible stories to tell, and you'll hear about them next week. But one of the things that Gene has always believed in, and you'll hear this in the podcast too, is getting other people involved. Um, so stay tuned. Next week, we're going to have a revamp. We're going to have a legendary figure in the animal rights movement to talk about why we need to work together and all be a part of making the world a better place. And hopefully sometime soon, before you know it, you, and I mean you, if you're listening to this, are going to be a part of this podcast too. Let's find some ways to make that happen. All right, thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.